Hello and God bless you today from Carlsbad, New Mexico. You are listening to a broadcast of New Song Christian Fellowship. We hope you enjoy the message today, and we'd love to hear from you. If anything in this message has touched you, you have a prayer request, or just want to reach out, you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash New Song Carlsbad NM. You can also mail us at Post Office Box 761, Carlsbad, New Mexico, zip code 88221. Please enjoy this message and have a very blessed day. We're the ones, Lord, that have a problem staying in love with you. I ask you, Lord, to forgive us for that. I'm asking that today something will be said that will bless your people. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. I want to I want to talk to you today about Jacob. I don't know if you're aware, but a lot of the one of the main differences between Old Testament and New Testament, at least in the design uh, for which they were both written. The Old Testament seems to be mainly stories about people that lived, what they went through, how they had to find God and keep God in their heart. But there's a lot of stories there. And there are stories in the New Testament as well, but there's a lot of teaching. Teaching because Jesus knew that he had to leave his church he was leaving his church, listen to me, in the hands of the Holy Ghost and you. He said, the things I have done you shall do and greater things than these shall you do because I go to the Father. Nonetheless, he was leaving. But he sent back to you Something that is so powerful, we still, we study it hour after hour, day after day, and we still don't understand it, that Jesus would send God himself, the third part of the Trinity, and when he got here, he would indwell your body. That's not symbolic, it's reality. The truth is, you are all a Spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Your spirit is what, when, when God finished making Adam out of dirt, he had him all formed there on the riverbank. And he kneeled over him, and he put his mouth over his nostrils and his mouth, when <laughs> he blew into him the nephesh, the nephesh. And man became a living soul. The real life that we're concerned with occurs in your spirit. That's why he says living soul. It's the difference between you and animals. Animals have souls. What is a soul? It is your mind, your emotions, your will. Okay? We know animals have a will, don't we? You got two puppies, pay attention to this one and ignore that one and see what happens. And puppies and kitties can be naughty, right? 
Think about this for a moment. God sent himself in the form of that dove, the Holy Spirit. He enters your body. He finds your spirit wherever it is, and he joins himself to you like this. That's the real Lord's Prayer, not the one we sing all the time. Our Father, which art in heaven. That's a great song. But the Lord's Prayer is, Jesus prayed this. He said, Father, I pray to you that you will make them one with you in the same way you and I are one. That's the Lord's Prayer. And I pray this morning that all of you have that kind of relationship with your God. Earlier, I touched on a scripture, and I want to read it real quick. It's found in Matthew chapter 7. You can turn there if you'd like, but he'll put it on the board up there. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And Jesus said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and in your name have cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto him, this is Jesus talking, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Why is it that we're always looking for a show, a sign, a talent, a gift? Who's the best singer? Who's the best preacher? We're real bad about that in Christianity. We really are. The churches that really seem to flourish out in in America today are the ones who have these real hot dog preachers. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I think hot dog preachers are great. But, you know, there are other men of God who have something that some of those men don't have. They've got a heart for God. When you're sick, they go to the hospital and minister to you. Some of those guys I'm talking about, they they won't come. Now, they've got a reason or an excuse. Well, I'm so popular and famous that I'd probably get mauled at the hospital if I go down there. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Now, well, you're welcome, honey. I love you. Now, today we're talking about Jacob. Now, listen carefully. I'm going to read something to you. The word Jacob means supplanter, somebody that's wicked, that's always trying to take something that you grew something that you work for, something that doesn't belong uh, to them. It only belongs to you, but they want to take it from you. I want you to, well, let's just read this. One of the tw- uh, Jacob was one of the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah. He was the brother of Esau, and he was known also as Israel. And that's in Genesis 32, 28. Jacob was born in answer to his father's prayer, but he became the favorite son of his mother, 
He was nicknamed Jacob at the birth of the twins because his hand took hold of Esau's heel. They were twins. And when they came out of the birth canal and entered into the world for the first time, Esau was first. Now, you got to understand that's important. Back then, the, the oldest son was the one who got everything. Esau came out first. Jacob had a hold of his foot, his heel, and he wasn't going to let go, as if we really came out together. Keep that in your, in your mind. According to the accounts in Genesis, Jacob continued to take hold of the possessions of others, his brother's birthright, his father. You remember his brother's birthright. When his father, Isaac, got old, the pattern was that the oldest son would go on a day that was very close to the death of his father, and they were very close. And he was to go in there and get his father's blessing. And you know the story. Jacob's got his little mind going all the time. Esau was a hairy man. Hairy. Jacob went out and got sheep, or whatever you call it, hair, <laughs> and, he, and he attached it to his hand. And when Isaac was blind, when he went in there, he said, it's, it's me, it's Esau. I came for my blessing. And he said, well, come over and let me hold your hand. And when he held his hand, he knew it had to be Esau because Jacob wasn't hairy. And so he blessed his son, not knowing that he actually gave the blessing to Jacob. That's pretty low, isn't it? Now, you could say, well, it's not fair. Uh, whoever wrote that rule was stupid. Uh, it's not right. They should have split it, whatever you want to say. But that was the tradition of the day. The pattern of Jacob's life is found in his journeys, much like the travels of his grandfather, Abraham. He would leave his home in Beersheba. He traveled to Bethel. Later, he returned to Shechem, Bethel and Hebron. And at Shechem and Bethel, he built altars, as Abraham had done. Near the end of his life, Jacob migrated to Egypt, and he died there at an advanced age. The most dramatic moments in Jacob's life occurred at Bethel at the ford of the river Jabbok and on his deathbed. The experience at Bethel occurred when he left the family home at Beersheba to travel to Haran, a city in Mesopotamia, the residence of his uncle Laban. You remember Laban's the one who had daughters. You needed a daughter to marry, go see Laban. Amen? <laughs> On the way, as he stopped for the night at Bethel, now listen to this, he had a dream of a staircase reaching from earth to heaven 
with angels upon it and the Lord above it. Now, get picture that in your mind. Close your eyes. There's a big ladder. And you see pictures of this painted by various artists. And it's a golden ladder, and it goes up into the heavens. And there's angels going up and down and up and down. This is what Jacob is seeing. He was impressed by the words of the Lord promising Jacob inheritance of the land, descendants as the dust of the earth in number, and his divine presence. Jacob dedicated the site at, at, as a place of worship, calling it Bethel. The problem wasn't that Jacob didn't love the Lord. The promise was Jacob did not want to obey the Lord. That's what you've got to decide in your life. As a Christian, you can say, I love you, Jesus. You can go down to the river. You can get somebody to anoint you with oil. You can weep down here, and we all see that you love Jesus. But are you obeying him? And I'm not just picking on you. I are one, too. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. We say, Lord, I want to obey you, but sometimes what you want me to do is hard. Well, what are you talking about? Well, you know, you know, Lord, like you're always telling me I gotta forgive people. What about them? They they're the ones that hurt me. They crushed me. They stuck a knife in my heart. They wounded me. And you want me to forgive them? That's exactly what I want you to do. And he said, Not only do I want you to do it, I command you to do it. Well, why is that? It is that because God is not concerned with who was right or wrong. He's more concerned with relationship. That's why <coughs> when you're having marital difficulties, men, I hope you're listening. Many times God will require more out of you men than the women because he's placed you as a covering over your family and over your wife. She's supposed to submit to you. That doesn't mean that you can rip her heart out, treat her like dirt, and use her for your own pleasures. In fact, if you really love her, you will discover in your married life a desire that rises up, and this desire tells you you need to do something for her because she's so special. And it's not so much the diamonds, yeah, yeah, we like diamonds, and the roses and the perfume. You know what she really wants? She, she really wants you. That's, and that's hard for some of you men because I are one of those two men that have a problem with being close to somebody. Don't want to get too close. It's not that we don't love you. It's that we're scared to death of you getting too close to us. We feel vulnerable. As if you were going to, if we let you get too close, you're going to do something to hurt us. It's not really like that, though, is it, ladies? That's your mate. He's the one that 
And by the way, man, your wife gave up everything. You didn't give up anything. What are you talking about? She gave up the most important thing that every person has. You know what it is? She gave up her identity to become you. She gave up her last name and took yours. She's no longer a whatever she was. Now she's a Tipton. Now she's a whatever, a Burke. There's not a man in here that would do that. None of you. Your wife did it willingly. Because, yeah, and you don't understand it, but let me tell you, it's something special about it. It's a spiritual thing. Uh, I, I think some of you will have to get to heaven someday and sit down on the river bank with Jesus so he can explain it to you. In return, sometimes we're not very nice to our wives. But she just keeps on loving us, keeps on giving. I remember 14 years ago when I was suffering from uh, sepsis, a tremendous blood infection. I coded at the hospital here. I stopped breathing. My heart stopped beating. I was dead. They took an intubation tube and jammed it down my throat. I had that tube in my throat for about 10 days at the very same spot on my vocal cords. They put me in a an induced coma. I, I can't explain to you, and I, I won't. There were things that happened while I was in that coma that I can't tell you about. Most of it was blackness. I always wanted to be one of those people who had that, quote, near-death experience, and you wake up and say, yeah, man, I spent the afternoon fishing with Jesus, and we had a picnic, and... And I met my granny who died several years ago. And that's not the way it was for me. But when I woke up, first thing I saw was uh, Scott Gregory over in the corner. And when, when I opened my eyes, he went. And I don't know why. This is truth. I don't know why, but something told me that we were in Mexico on a hunting trip because I didn't re- I didn't recognize the room I was in. I was in Lubbock. Didn't know I was in Lubbock. I was, and when I opened my eyes, there were people with white coats on rushing back and forth, up and down, sticking things in my arm, pulling this out, putting that in. And this voice said, Scott took you on a hunting trip to Mexico but he got mad at you because you killed a bigger buck than he did. So he shot you in the throat. Then he got to feeling guilty, so he hired up all these doctors and nurses. In fact, John, right now as we speak, you're in a, a thing like a mobile home. It's a, it's a portable hospital that they take on special cases like this, and you're actually out at the campsite. And all these doctors, and they're running back and forth. Now, you couldn't have talked me out of that for at least three days. That's what I believe. That's exactly what happened. 
And when I saw Scott over there doing that, I was thinking, yeah, when I get up off his bed, I'm going to whip you. You you need a good whipping. Isn't God good? He loves us so much. He really does. One of our problems is we can't wait. We just can't wait. We know God's going to bless us, and we know he's going to do it, and he's going to do it hopefully pretty soon, but we just can't wait because whatever's on his time schedule is not soon enough for us. I had to learn a lot of the things about Christianity the hard way, particularly about money. Uh, I lived by faith for 20 years. I said, Lord, I need my rent paid by Friday, and there'd be silence. Lord, I need my rent paid by Friday, and then he'd finally speak and say, yeah, today's Monday. What's the problem? Lord, I'm leaving on a trip to Canada. I'll be gone two months, and that motorhome that breaks down every time I get in it, uh, I'd like to have several hundred or several thousand dollars before I leave Carlsbad, because you know how that thing is. You know, he always tried to tell me, yeah, that thing is in the palm of my hand. And you know, that thing never failed to bring us home. Now, we had to beat on it a few times with a hammer. I kicked it a couple of times. But in that, I learned some valuable lessons. If God's in it, he supplies what you need. Amen? Now, let's look at something about Jacob. Genesis 28. Let's look there right quick. And we're going to start with verse 10. And Jacob went from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place, and he tarried or waited there all night. Because the sun was set, and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. He made a pillow out of rocks. Don't ask me why. And he laid down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached all the way to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending, that means going up, and descending, coming down on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed and to thy seed shall be as, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. Now get this in your heart. Your seed will be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and south, and in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you, and I will keep you in all places wherever you go, and I will bring you back again to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you of. Now, do you think it was a secret to Jacob that uh, that he was not a, a very popular person? 
You think if somebody walked up to Jacob and said, you know, uh, I was walking down the street and there was a, a bunch of six, about six men and they were talking ugly about you. You think that would shock Jacob? Oh, no. Jacob knew he was a jerk. All of you that in here that are jerks, raise your hand. Come on. <laughs> a jerk always knows he's a jerk. That's one of the reasons that he's a jerk, because he won't admit it. However, do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? Bathsheba was married to a general who happened to be David's best friend. The guy was so sold out to David, he would guard him with his life. He had been out on the front for months fighting the Philistines. And what he didn't know was David was having an affair with his wife, his best friend's wife. You know what this story reveals to you and me? How far God will go to forgive us. My God, David's in a trap. What am I going to do? Nobody knows but me and her. Then he gets this idea. Get some men. Go get, uh, go get it. What was his name, by the way? No, it wasn't. It was uh, Uriah. And he says, you go get Uriah and bring him back here. And so uh, you tell him to get here on the devil. So they go and they get him and they, they, uh, he rides back quickly as he can. Now, He's, David's thinking, surely what he'll do is he'll go right straight to his house. Because he ain't, and by the way, the, the Bible's very clear that Bathsheba was probably one of the most beautiful women who has ever lived. Every man who saw her lusted after her. And I don't know, and I don't even know if God knows, but for some reason, one night she gets up on the top of her house. It's hot, sticky, humid, and she goes up there, takes her clothes off, and has a bath right out there in wide open. Now, why did she do that? See, we always talk about the lust of the, of the man, but sometimes we don't talk about the lust of the woman. But let me tell you something. Her husband, when he got there, he didn't go to her house. He went straight to David's house. And he made him a little campsite on his front porch. David comes out there and says, what are you doing? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to guard you. I'm, I'm your man. Look, you haven't seen your wife in months. You go home. I'm your man. I'm staying here. What David really wanted to tell him was, you're not cooperating. I need you to go and see your wife so that you can know her better. So that she'll get pregnant and nobody will blame me. And the guy didn't cooperate. You know what? If you're not careful, your sin will lead you to a place that is so ugly that not even you can stand it. David says, he gets mad. I got, I got, I, yeah, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. 
So when it's time for him to leave, he just goes to him and says, I'm sending you to the front of the front of the front, the frontest place where the battle is. Because he knew when he got him there, he was going to die, and that's exactly what happened. He got killed. So David commits murder so that he can commit adultery. God, how do you, God, how do you stand us? How do you stand us? Oh, God. And in the Bible, it says David was a man after God's own heart. I didn't understand that when I first read it. David. Oh, too much time on that, sorry. But here's the bottom line. God is so much in love with you that even when you do something as ugly as what David did, God will make a way for you to be forgiven, cleansed, and set back up on your feet. He will. And I know he will because the, the finality of that story is that the Messiah, Jesus, the son of the living God, came out of the union of David and Bathsheba. Adultery. Now, if you don't think that's not forgiveness, think again. And the same thing happened to Jacob trying to steal his brother's birthright, doing anything he, he can. It doesn't matter. He has no morals. He has no sense of honor. Just whatever he, he, he has to do, that's what he'll do. But you know what? God began to deal with him like he deals. How many of you have been dealt with by the Lord? You know what, you know what I'm talking about dealt with? And you know what he does when he deals with you? He comes into your conscience. And you can't get him out. Oh, God, can't you give me a break today? God, please, can I, can I have an hour of peace? Oh, my God. Every time I open my eyes, you're standing there. Every time I take the earplugs out of my ears, you're speaking. Oh, God, I'm tired. Please let me have a break. You know why he does that? Because he loves you. Now look at Genesis 28, 16. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid. And he said, How dreadful. That word actually means awesome. How awesome is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillow, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel, which means the house of God. But the name of that city was called Luz, L-U-Z. You see some of the early maps of that area? You will see a city, L-U-Z. It's actually Bethel. 
And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and if he will keep me in his way that I go, and if he will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on clothes, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth of it to you. That's tithing. You see it? You see, though, at this time in his life, he's been separated from his brother. His brother made a vow, if I ever see you again, I will kill you. I'll kill you on the spot. After many decades goes by, he, be, he is missing his family. He, he not only has been separated from uh, his uh, brother, whatever, he's been separated from his father. He loves his father. He's been separated there's bad blood. He wants to make it right. God's been dealing with him. By the way, when you see somebody that, that it's obvious God's been dealing with them, you shout for joy because they're real close to God getting the victory. You know, in the beginning of his life, Jacob was a trickster. He was a con man. He was a racketeer. But God had a plan for his life. He was wild and crazy kind of guy. Stumbling through life trying to figure out what he was supposed to do. That was Jacob. But he had a dream. The Bible says in Joel 2.38, In the last days my men shall see visions and dream dreams. How many of you men have been having dreams lately. My God, it's happening to me every night. Am I the only one? You you better you better get ready. I'm seeing visions. And I, and I it, it was I mean I used to see visions frequently. I didn't think much about it, but in the last two weeks I, I am seeing visions daily on a daily basis. The other day Satan appeared to me in a a costume and he was trying to disguise himself. Now, my eyes are wide open. I'm not sleeping. My eyes are wide open. In fact, somebody's talking to me. I don't know if it was Liz. Forgive me, Liz. And I see him, and he looks at me. And I just uh, said, uh, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. And he got this stark raving fear look on his face and he turned and he left you have the same power in your life and I'm seeing dreams almost nightly and I don't understand all of them some of them are weird but I can tell you this it's the Lord but let me tell you something that staircase the night that he had that dream that was a gate to heaven, the real gate. And the Bible says, look at John 10, verse 1. Let's, let's look there. Do you still love me? Thank you. John 10, verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door 
into the sheepfold but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. There's a gate. How many of you know that some people do not, they want to go to heaven, they want to be there for eternity, they want to have everything that God has to offer, but they don't want to do it God's way. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the people who want to live in both worlds. They want to go out on Friday and Saturday night and get drunk, have sex with women they're not married to, and, and they know that when Sunday morning rolls around, they could throw up in the bathroom and get themselves together and go on down to church and ask God to forgive them because that's what the preacher said. Whatsoever a man... Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. You really think you're pulling anything over God's eyes? There's a gate. That's why when you see a picture of the temple or the tabernacle in the, in the desert, they would put a fence around it. Even in Jerusalem, there was a fence around the temple. The one in the desert was made out of white linen. And there were posts put up to hold the fence up, and the posts were not allowed to touch the earth. Every post sat on a 30-pound block of pure silver. Silver is a symbol of redemption. All of the posts in the tabernacle, every one of them sat on a 30-pound block of pure silver. As that fence wound around the temple, all the way around, and it met on the front side, there was a gate. It was the only way that you could get in to God's presence. You couldn't pole vault over the fence, no matter how good you were in high school. Couldn't dig a hole like the immigrants are, these immigrants are doing, digging holes and crawling. Nope. You've got to do it God's way. Well, I don't want to do that. You know, it takes up a lot of my time to serve God. He wants me to He wants me to go to the hospital and pray for people. Well, that's taken out of my fun time. When you enter through that one gate, you see the brazen altar, a symbol of the cross. There's a fire in that brazen altar that burns 24 hours a day. And they're cooking meat on it 24 hours a day. They're shedding blood on it 24 hours a day. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Everything, and you see the picture up there? That, that thing in the back is not really a, a real good picture of the temple. It didn't look like that, but... Well, it's okay. Uh, here's my point. When you, when you go to God's house, your desire is, is to get to that building in the center back there with the red top on it. Your whole desire, because that's where God is. Now, there's two rooms in that, in that room, in that building. When you go in, you've got the candelabras on the left. They never go out. They're burning 24 hours a day. 
on the right is the table of showbread, one loaf for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And as you go back, there is a table where incense is burning. It's a symbol of worship. If you want to get in God's presence, the last thing you must do is worship. You don't go back there and, and, and tell him all the things you need. He already knows what you need. And right behind that table is a curtain keeping you out. Matthew 27, verse 50. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was split down the middle from the top to the bottom. When you go into that last room, everybody look up here. There's only one thing in there when you're looking at it. And just for the sake of argument, this bottom part is called the Ark of the Covenant. It's about three feet wide, five feet long. On both sides, there are holes where you could put these posts in. That's what you carry it with. By the way, this was all given under the direction of the Lord. Inside was the pot of manna and the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod that budded. This box was made out of shidum wood or acacia wood. It was overlaid with pure gold. Now, Somebody, uh, a real gold artist in, in, in the group, made a mold. I don't know how he did it. If he made it out of sand, I don't know. He, he first made this, probably made it out of, he sculpted it out of clay. And then he, he shoved it down into some wet sand. And after it dried, somehow he got it out so the sand didn't collapse it became a mold and so now this part was not wood overlaid with gold this part was pure solid gold on top of it two angels the cherubim and we were talking uh, before church is this the way it really looked I don't know I know they had wings and I know that the, somebody will go ask me, well, then the wings have to touch so that we're, that's where God sat. No, actually there had to be a space there. That space in, in the middle was God's throne. And it, in those temple days, they would pull that curtain back one time a year on the great day of atonement, Yom Kippur. The high priest was wearing sparkling, clean white linen. He had on a... Uh, a thing with, with 12 uh, gems on it, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. He had a, he had on a, what am I calling it, Cindy? A, an apron, and around the bottom of that apron were little pomegranate bells. And, and the reason for that is as long as they heard the tinkling of those bells, those priests in the, in the first room knew he was still alive. If those bells stopped, we got a problem. 
They pulled it back. They tied a rope to his leg. Now, this is, we don't know for sure. We're surmising here. It's not in the Bible. But they tied a rope to his leg in case he fell dead. They could pull his body out because if he fell dead, I'm not going in there. It's a dreadful thing to be in the presence of the living God. Right? He goes in there and they shut the curtain. He's dragging the rope behind him. He's got a, a censer, a bowl filled with sheep blood in his hand. He's got a weed in his other hand called hyssop. It's a weed. And it just happens to be a great instrument to stir blood. You got to stir blood or it'll coagulate and, and you don't want that. And the moment he came into the room, it starts filling with the with the Shekinah glory of God Almighty. Get a hold of this. The whole thing's been planned before civilization even existed. God had a plan for you and for me. He knew about sin. He knew about Satan and the snake in the garden. He knew about all of it. He knew there would come a day when that high priest would go into that room dragging a rope, and he also knew that that priest would take blood on that on that. Uh, and he'd begin to sling it everywhere in that room. He'd go around that box seven times slinging blood, slinging blood, throwing blood on the Ark of the Covenant, throwing him, by the way, this is called the mercy seat because our God is full of mercy. But he's got his head down because he dare not look at God because God, God surely knows that just last week, the high priest looked at a woman with lust in his heart down at the at the where they go buy food market. He's ashamed. He's he's afraid. And the room begins to fill with smoke. I think I think God would do that to help him out because if he accidentally looked. At least there was smoke there to cover the presence of God. You'll remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai and he'd been searching and he came around a corner and he found God. looked like a bush on fire. It was God, a burning bush. It's called a theophany. A theophany is anything that appears as God. Jesus is a theophany, only he is God. Well, don't get me started on that. Then he felt like he had done what he was supposed to do and he exited the room. And I'm sure he collapsed. You know what he was doing in there? He was crying out to God for the sins of the people. Now, I'm telling you all this so you can understand what Jacob was going through. Before he was born, he's, he's a piece of meat in a woman's womb. He didn't know nothing about this. When he's born, he's a baby. He doesn't know nothing. He, he's like every other baby. Babies are born with sin. I know that because it, every time they get hungry, they're going to scream. They don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning. They don't care if you're asleep. They want to eat now. <laughs> Got it? 
But you know something? As he, as he grew older, just like you, as he grew older, he began to become aware of God. And it, and it wasn't fear. It wasn't fear. It was the good kind of awareness. He, he would get that warm, glowing feeling sometimes when, when the people would come down to the temple and they would sing or hum a, a melody. He'd get that warm feeling all over him, and, and he liked it. And not only did he like it, he didn't want to ever leave it. And I got in one of my moments of weakness one day. I said, God, oh, come on, God. You're telling me that we, we're going to live forever. And so now some of you, uh, you come late to church because you think our music service is too long. Well, I got news for you. When you get to heaven, uh, after about uh, three or 4,000 years of worshiping God at one service, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, when you get to the real heaven and it's real worship, you won't ever want it to stop. You will not ever want it to stop for as long as you live. That's what happened to me. I, I had no church background, didn't know nothing about God. I got saved. My roommate in college gave me a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, and it talks about the rapture. I didn't know there was a rapture. I didn't know what the word rapture meant. I wasn't interested in the rapture. He said, well, you know, it was my senior year in college. It was the Easter break. He said, take this home and, you know, read a few pages of it. See, I got that home, and I opened the first page and started reading, and I could not stop. I did not stop. I got an ink pen, and I underlined every word in that book, and I made notes out in the margins, and I went and found, I don't know how it come, I don't know how I found it, but there was a Bible in our house. Don't ask me where I found it, but I found it, and, and, and I, every time he mentioned a scripture, and I, but I didn't know where, the, where, the, where it was. I, I, sometimes I'd have to look 30, 40 minutes to find the, where the scripture was that he mentioned, but I looked up every one of them. And you, sorry to repeat this, but I was right at the end of it, book, and it was uh, some kind of athletics on the TV, and they were all in the den watching that, and I quietly got up and went into the living room. Nobody ever went in there. It was one of those rooms you just used whenever guests came over. And I, they didn't even know I left. I had hair down here, and I was not worthy. But you know, God had touched me, my heart. In, in the past, if I thought I wasn't worthy, I'd say, yeah, and I don't care either. Who are you to tell me that I'm not worthy? When that day came, I wasn't worthy and I knew it. And I knew there's a Jesus and I knew that he died on the cross for me. And I knew he was coming and I didn't want to miss it. And they're all in there watching something on TV, and I turned, I turned that book over, and I was weeping. I kept looking up because I didn't want any of them to come in there and turn the lights on 
and seemed like that. Uh, you know, John's big guy. He's tough. <laughs> and I, I was weeping, and I said, Lord, this is what I said, Lord, such as I am, I give you my life. And he said, I'll take it. And I was shocked because I, I thought he would say, well, you're going to have to get a haircut first, shine up your shoes, get some decent clothes, get rid of those stupid hippie clothes you wear all the time. He said, I'll take you just you are, just like you are. Then I wept again. That year, in one year period of time, and I'm not exaggerating here. I read the Bible over 50 times. Underlining. Taking notes. Wearing it out. When I got through with that one, I'd go buy a new one. Start all over. You know why? Because I, I had to know him. I, I had to. I had to know him. And I'm not a whole lot different now. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, I got to know him. You go in the office, you'll see hundreds of books in there. And, and down at our uh, our storage place, that 10 by 40 foot drift, uh, things full of stuff. But in there are over 4,000 books. I've read every one of them. Some of them three or four times. I got to know him. I, I, I'm on fire. I can't. There's nothing that will quench the fire. I have to know him. Close your eyes. Turn off the lights, please. I'm going to let you go. Please just bear with me just for a minute. As your pastor, I want you to know him. Oh, God. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I want to do. I, I give you praise. Oh, you are my righteousness. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. There is none like you. When you want to get into God's presence, find a song like that one. It's a worship song. And sing it over and over and over. And God never gets tired of it. He loves you, and I love you. You all in here, you're good people, not by your flesh, but by the blood of Jesus. You're good. You're good. Every one of you, you're good people. I'm honored to be your pastor. 
there is none like you. And just recently I've been reading books about angels. And I'm I'm looking. Everybody listen. I'm reading a book by a guy in Ohio, I think. And he searched for angels so intense that now, almost in every service, there are angels in his church and he sees them when he walks in. He says some of them are 10, 12 feet tall. He said some of them have wings and some of them don't. And he's got a balcony in his church. And a lot of them hang around up there. He can see them. He, he doesn't usually talk to them, but he can see them. <laughs> Think about that. Think about you and your family getting ready to go on a trip and, and you got the car all loaded and you got the kids in there and you're a little worried because, you know, there might be a snowstorm uh, while you're on the road and you don't want, you love your family, you don't want any of them to get hurt and, and you turn around, you know, to get the kids all settled and you see sitting back there an angel sitting in the back seat with your kids. Well, how can he sit back there? There's not enough room. Well, it's, uh, that's a talent that angels have. <laughs> Yeah, talents have, angels have talents. There is none like you. There is none like you. People get ready, there's a train coming. Right? You don't need no ticket, you just get on board. Faith is the key to hear those diesels humming. You don't need no ticket, you just praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Father, as we, uh, well, I'm going to do one other thing. Guys, close, please. If you're here this morning and you're not sure you're going to heaven, listen, this ain't, this ain't a game. Everybody in here is going to die. And this is not a game. And you better be sure that you know that you know that you know. Because you can't get saved after you die. It's now or never. And if you're not sure, I won't give you a chance right now. And for some of you, it may be your last chance. Everybody's eyes are closed. If you're here, and you're not sure you're saved, if you died in a car wreck, you went to the gates of heaven, there was an angel standing there, the gate was locked, and he said, why should I let you in, and you're not real sure what to tell him, then you're not saved. 
I want to give you a chance right now to get saved. If you're here this morning and you'd like to make sure that you're saved, raise your hand. Anybody? There is none like you. I worship you, Almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I want to do. I give you praise, oh, you are my righteousness. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. There is none like you. Lord, we love you this morning. As everybody goes, it's my prayer they'll take you with them. And Lord, today, may they feel your presence all day today. And when we lay our heads down tonight, may we feel your presence. May we dream those sweet dreams that you said you would give to your children in the last days. Speak to us, Lord by the workings of the gifts of your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to desire to want to be your servants. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Love on somebody. John, you can turn on the lights. Love on somebody before you go. This has been a broadcast of New Song Christian Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today. If you wish to partner with us and support this ministry, you can give online at newsongcarlsbad.churchcenter.com forward slash giving. Your gift is tax deductible. Please share this broadcast with your friends and neighbors and help us spread the good news of Jesus Christ all across the globe. May the Lord richly bless you.